Hello, thank you for joining us. You are listening to Breaking the Shackles of Time. Uh, my name is Marcus Weekly, and I'm here today with Troy McCannovich, a graduate student at Claremont Graduate University, and also a senior consultant at the Center for Writing and Rhetoric. Um, he is pursuing an interfield PhD in politics and religious studies. His focus is on secularization and interreligious engagement. Troy, thank I, you for joining me. Thank, thank you for having me, Marcus. That's a very ambitious title, too. I really like the title of this. Yeah, no, I mean, we're, we're doing it step by step here. Um, Aim big. <laughs> so today I want to talk uh, about individuality mm -hmm. and writing and the notion of authorship, mm -hmm. um, which is a fundamental notion connected to writing across cultures and time, right? I mean, even in situations where texts didn't have a clear author, mm -hmm. humans have forcefully ascribed mm -hmm. an author to that text, right? Like maybe Homer or Lao Tzu or something like right. this, where it was obvious to people at a certain time that this thing that had been passed down was actually a collection of texts mm -hmm. over a period of time. There couldn't have been one Homer or there couldn't have been one right. Lao Tzu. But, um, you know, we need to ascribe a single author mm -hmm. to this. Right. Um, and although the inverse is true too now in terms of like staff writing mm -hmm. or um, like you, you ever find those like AI generated like web pages where it's supposed to be a single author, but it's very clear that this wasn't a single author. Right. Yeah. But it's at issue no matter what. Yeah. Yep. And the same thing is going to happen with art and it's going to happen with music. It kind yeah. of already is. Um, and I mean, those are some really interesting issues. I really like the art issue where um you know a, a copy and might be the it might be the exact same mm -hmm. thing produced but yeah issues of authorship come up there with how we perceive the aesthetic value of the work yeah um but i wanted to focus on um even though i actually would really enjoy talking about that <laughs> i, I want to focus on um writing yeah um and specifically this this notion of the singular creative author mm -hmm. in modernity, especially in Western culture. Mm -hmm. um, so in a, a bit more narrow, the, the, the situation that I would like to talk about is that assumptions translate into the way we actively form new beliefs. I mean, this is a truism. Mm -hmm. um, our degree of openness mm -hmm. to existing beliefs, how we justify or describe what we've done to ourselves, mm -hmm. to others, before and after we do it. Mm -hmm. um, assumptions also translate into how we do and what we do what we do, um, not only how we talk about what we do. Mm -hmm. And this is an unavoidable thing. I mean, um, due to cognitive limitations amongst, amongst other factors, we're not <laughs> this the sort of thing that is going to be functioning without assumptions on some level. Yeah. Um, things will be taken for granted. They will work on an unconscious level. Mm -hmm. this, this will translate into thought and action. Mm -hmm. um, so this is also true for writing. And uh, one of the things that I've encountered a lot and is I've read a lot about and I've talked with people and had discussions about is that we might on an assumptive level approach the act of writing in this way where I am this really creative force sitting down mm -hmm. with, the, with, the, with my piece of paper or with the blank screen, right? And I'm going to really 
pour myself in this really singular yeah. creative fashion into this. This romantic sense of like my writing is my ideas on a subject and that's it. Yeah. No yeah. one else could have done this right. in any way. This is me. Um, yeah. In the unique way that I'm doing it. Um, and I'm uniquely capable. Mm-hmm. Um, so this approach is a convention in, in, in many respects. If we think of it as a convention or a norm um, mm-hmm. and this self-conception um often works on the level of assumption mm-hmm. um, until we go through a more reflective process about writing and ourselves as writers. Um, is this a good framework? Mm-hmm. I mean, it, that's my first question. Mm-hmm. What do you think? Is it a good framework? Um, and, I, and I'm also interested in if we should be asking ourselves different questions about writing when we sit down to write. Mm-hmm. Um, approaching it differently and why or why not um so what do you think yeah well i mean i think especially in our context when we're talking about working uh, at a writing center an institution where like writing is most of what students are doing um i think even the question of whether or not it's a good framework takes a backseat to the idea that like it's very clearly a a false framework right um it's kind of like that argument of, of like the self-made billionaire who apparently doesn't drive on public, publicly funded roads. Apparently, you know, doesn't his employees don't get, you know, public health care, things like that. Um, and I think there's kind of a really kind of clear falsity in the idea of these ideas just, you know, coming whole cloth from you and you alone. But I mean, even at the same time, the whole business of academic writing calls that into question with systems of citations, expectations for how you engage with a broader community scholarship, and the expectation that like what you do is engage with a broader community of scholarship. I think, you know, when we're talking with, like when I'm talking with my folks about what I'm doing here, I think they do have this kind of romantic idea that, you know, a, a professor walks into the room, puts a topic on the board like, you know, poverty. And then we all kind of silo ourselves off. Come, who can, whoever comes up with the best idea of like how to solve poverty, they're the genius for the day or some idea. Um, and I think a big part of uh, what we've done at the center is kind of disabusing folks of the notion that what they're doing is somehow writing or researching or arguing in isolation. And the idea that they first have to engage with a lot of other ideas. And that engagement means adopting ideas as their own that other people have come forth with already. Yeah. Um, I, I completely agree. But what I've seen is that there's often this tension where, right, in, in academic writing, you're given a narrower version to do mm-hmm. creative, critical thinking, right? It's like, okay, so you have to jump through all these hoops, do these moves as mm-hmm. they've been set out in the genre. And then you have this little sliver where you have to be really creative. Mm-hmm. You have to, in, based off of previous scholarship, you have to do something very new. Yeah. Or else you're not a successful academic writer. Right? Uh-huh. So there's the form carries through in a certain respect where um, you as you need you need to show your singular authorship mm-hmm. in some respect. Yeah. Um, it's just a, a narrower version of it. Well, and, and that's bringing up like the way that um, that like other authors or other authorships are hidden. And they're like kind of occluded in this process, right? And we talk about genre as if it exists apart from like the conventions that have been built up and and championed by, you know, like professional associations or like authors over time. Or we'll talk about the canon as if, again, that's a thing that has exist that exists like outside of the work that's being done. So I think a lot of times, you know, when I'm I'm thinking 
just as a, a writing consultant and someone comes in and we're talking about a project they're working on and they'll say, well, this isn't how we do it in my field or uh, my instructor told me that this is how we do it as a psychologist or a sociologist. There is this like like the there's this passive voice quality to it as if it's, you know, as if this hasn't been decided because it it's not up for issue to be decided. This yeah. is has it always has been. Yeah. Um, and that hides that kind of like does a lot of work to pretend that single author authorship makes any sense. Yeah, it's true. And um, it, it, it also kind of hides the fact that every time that is reproduced, it contributes to the ongoing <laughs> right, yeah. existence of something mm -hmm. in, in, in its current, in that form, right? Yeah. Or the existence of the canon as such, or the yeah. existence of a certain genre of paper written in a certain yeah. sort of way. Every time it's reproduced in that fashion, it's right it's made a bit more stable in that form. Mm -hmm. um, but that also shows the possibility for change or transformation is also present in those moments. Yeah. Though maybe not within the institutional structure. Right. And that's part of what I'm interested in in asking these sorts of questions. Um, so beyond the value judgment of the framework, it's like, can we take a step back? Is there something valuable in taking a step back in mm -hmm. a certain sort of way where we might... Um, Let's say the singular author romantic notion mm -hmm. that um, makes us feel good in uh -huh. many ways and, you know. And brilliant and, and tortured and, yeah. Yeah. I mean, when you sit down to write, there's a lot of possibility, you know. Uh -huh. It's like you're pouring yourself onto it. Like there's, um, there's some, yeah, there's something in using the exact same word romantic mm -hmm. in a different way yeah. about that that might <laughs> yeah. be good. Um to, you know, to certain people, but it's, uh, it's missing a lot of these questions that, mm -hmm. I mean, we've just talked about in just real briefly about, mm -hmm. I mean, um, there are all these other factors going into that situation. Mm -hmm. And if you aren't taking these into account, then yeah. you are just kind of contributing to the norm, yeah. um, in, on the level of an assumption. Mm -hmm. It's, it's, um, it's an extensive type education, right? Mm -hmm. It's uh, here, do this in this way mm -hmm. because this is how it's done yeah. and this is how we do it. So when you refer to it, it's like, oh, this is how we do it in this field. You're not sure exactly why a lot of the time. Yeah. You, you aren't at least overtly taught mm -hmm. how to the reason behind the different moves yeah. in the genre, right? So you're taking part of part in that as a, as a modeling type template. Yeah. Um, putting yourself into it in a certain part, yeah, um, and not asking a lot of questions about what's being excluded, mm -hmm. um, who is able to do this in the first place, right. what kind of institutional forces or other mm -hmm. forces have created the situation where, um, on two different levels, either you yourself are choosing certain choices rather yeah. than others, um. And as uh, a field, let's say, yeah, certain choices are made. Well, and I think like when you when you kind of presented the the theme to talk to me about, and I was thinking a lot about it. My the first thing that came running through my head was kind of like, okay, well, so what? Like to what ends, right? Because I think there's a really interesting, um, like obviously you're you're more like philosophically minded than I am, right? But I think there's there's really kind of interesting theoretical arguments to get into about the shape of authorship, right? Trajectories in that. Um, and then uh, from my perspective, I was just thinking, okay, like then uh, kind of who benefits, right? 
Um, and and I, I do think that conversations or the lack of conversations over like what constitutes kind of individual authorship or or, or how you should that's kind of those obviously exist. Uh, lack of conversations over how you should think about yourself as an author as you write. I do think they do a lot to kind of hide kind of screwed up power dynamics too, mm. right? Like I, I think, um, you know, we can think of fields where authorship is 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 clearly negotiated a lot, but it usually becomes just a proxy for who has the higher chair, right? So that all of a sudden my thesis work I'm second author on it, not me, but people I can think of, right? Mm -hmm. Or the idea that um, authorship becomes, you know, weaponized in like tenure clocks, things like that. Um, or even the way that like attribution and like the, I think, good faith idea that we should like attribute our authorship uh, beyond ourselves and, and engage with other scholars, that that is if it's like unthinking, it just reproduces, like you said, kind of old problems, right? So something I'm thinking of, um, a lot of folks I'm familiar with in the dissertation stages of uh, like American religious history are laboring to say, hey, you know what? I'm going to decolonize my bibliography, right? Like I, I'm tired of citing the same four or five old white guys on this subject, right? I want more women here, I want more authors of color, things like that, mm -hmm. to really say that... Um, the act of, of recognizing um, other uh, scholars in my work, which obviously this is beyond just the idea of authorship, but towards the idea of attribution, but that there's something there that's not merely just a, a wink and a nod, but also like reproduces power or reproduces inequity. And mm -hmm. that there's something that we can do in thinking about ourselves and authors and our responsibilities to our fields or to other authors that can um, help us uh, kind of overcome those like histories of marginalization. Yeah. And 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 in in some in some respects it's essential to think outside of oneself to do that in that moment. Yeah. Um, where when you you can't view the act of writing mm -hmm. as something that's so deeply personal, right. at least on this type of writing in this yeah. form, that you shouldn't be asking those self-reflective questions in in a with social connections, mm -hmm. right? Um, I mean, it's the sort of thing where you don't want to put the eye or the way that I think of it mm -hmm. and how we would benefit from approaching it a little bit differently. Yeah. Um, and maybe toning down the idea of the singular author. But, mm -hmm. um, is without the eye being put forward, forward as like, I am the one writing, I am the one yeah. writing. We're asking broader questions of... Mm -hmm availability of you know um of potential in the first place right mm -hmm. of i mean the idea that i am in this situation able to do certain things because of certain factors mm -hmm. in the first place um i think will have those sorts of effects that you're mm -hmm. that you're talking yeah. about um as well as yeah i mean as as well as others mm -hmm. um and and in that sense, I think it might be helpful. Yeah. I also, I mean, I, it's one of the things I was going back and forth on because, you know, as much as I think it's silly, I, I, I wish I could be this kind of tortured romantic author who can like come up with brilliant things on their own and things like that. Um, but I was thinking about like what is uh, an area where I think maybe the value or idea of like a singularly voiced author, that romantic notion should be reemphasized. And I do think that there are elements of 
teaching writing that should go further to emphasize the choices that you make as an author <clears throat> pardon me, to have like a specific voice, right? Um, and I think that's something that probably gets downplayed a lot in academic writing, mm -hmm. um, and especially among certain fields where there is a, a more, like I've heard it called like a ritualistic kind of focus on genre or form where you're just kind of like encoding methods and findings into this like specific format. Um, but that a lot of times I'll have folks come in whose um, instructors have, you know, kind of uh, marked up their papers and they're getting kind of vague comments about formality, right? Or about um, um, their voice in some capacity. And usually it's, it's, they're just kind of dog whistles, right? They're, they're not actually pointing at anything. And they're also kind of undermining the whole purpose of writing and of reading, right? Like, I don't know anybody, you know, I don't know that the, the, the most prolific voices in any field or any like, uh, like writing endeavor have been, uh, you know, celebrated for like how well they perfectly match the convention and expectation of genre, right? Like that doesn't seem to me like a particularly valuable endeavor. And so I do think there are elements of like, you know, it's like how do you dismantle um, the problem of single authorship as a single author? Like mm -hmm. because it, like for all we're talking about, like it is still just a person at a computer. Yeah. And it, and it, it the questions that I'm asking doesn't, don't don't necessarily entail that you some no one has a voice somewhere, right. right? It's like that's a major problem mm -hmm. in academic writing. How many people in certain genres can you recognize their voice within a few paragraphs? Yeah, right? that are writing within a certain yeah um, convention. Yeah, it's difficult to develop your own voice mm -hmm. in that circumstance. Yeah. it's it's difficult to have creativity within mm -hmm. those structures. Yeah, and I and I do think that sometimes, like even our like the like focusing. Um, too much on kind of this, like, like I'm thinking about stuff we had written or not written that we had read and talking about this. Um, the idea of like writing as a serious endeavor. Mm -hmm. I do think that takes out a lot of the playfulness that can come from trying to play with different voices, like to, to really trying to undermine yourself as a single author to say like, there is no me as that author mm -hmm. that I'm, I'm not an author. I'm, I'm a set of goals, like a set of rhetorical purposes. And there's a lot of ways that I can climb that mountain, mm -hmm. right? And I, I do think that there's something to be said for um, kind of authorship as a playful endeavor, you know? And I can think of uh, a lot of, uh, you know, my favorite works where they do undermine the idea of, can I trust this author? Or what is this, is this author working towards a singular goal? Or do they seem to be kind of cutting themselves off towards multiple goals? And I, and I think it's almost like the, the multi, like, like many authors within that one single author, um, because they're all enacting different projects that seem to work against or work against each other in this kind of like three stooges way. And I think there's a value in that because I don't think that, you know, writing needs to be such a terribly serious endeavor in that way, though in recognizing kind of strands of multiple authorships and authority and inspirations, there is a very serious thing of recognizing the work other people have put forward. Yeah. 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 Um, one of the things that I was thinking about too was mm -hmm. how how um, this my, the the idea of taking the the step back mm -hmm. right and reviewing the assumptions you might have of being this like singular creative mm -hmm. author and you're asking these questions in certain contexts that's going to end up making you unique mm -hmm. in that way right yeah. because other people aren't doing that mm -hmm. um, approaching a convention or a field or a genre that's just kind of 
moving in a in its own in you know it's kind of one of these set directions Mm -hmm. and you have taken that on and integrated that in a way (laughs) where you really feel like it's your own you're a part of it Uh and you jump into it and you keep moving it forward in a way Mm -hmm. but you still a lot of the issues that we're talking about are working on certain on the level of assumption yeah um reviewing that mm-hmm. and then bringing those sorts of questions or the sorts of changes that might come mm-hmm. from approaching it that way might end up having that strange like circular effect where you end up being more singular mm-hmm. because of it. Yeah. Um, and it might be a really valuable way to redefine what it is to be an author, right? I right. mean, to be an author, you can maintain a certain degree of individuality, mm-hmm. but that individuality is always going to be recognizing mm-hmm. Um, a context, right? Yeah. It's going to be an, an individuality that's not ever thinking it exists outside of it in some like pure yeah. creative st- stream in some sort of right. way. But that I am able to do this because of the fact that I am embodied, let's say, or because mm-hmm. of the fact that I <laughs> I exist within these, you know, power dynamics, these, so- these socio-cultural elements. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's, it's like just... You know, if we just lined up like all of the like writing advice that you'd get among different fields, right? <laughs> Most of it's garbage, right? Like I do think there are a lot of there's a lot of really in depth um, like research on pedagogy and composition, and I think just from my experience, it's largely ignored outside of the fields of like composition, right? Mm-hmm. And educational studies. Um, but one of the things I think about is that, you know, even so every field kind of has its own maximums about or maxims, pardon me, about how, how does one become, uh, you know, a thoughtful writer? How do you go through this process of like training yourself to write and to like undermine the idea that you're the single author while somehow like re-embodying yourself as a single author? And I always think about, um, who was it? I think it was like probably Hunter S. Thompson or something who talked about uh, re like retyping out. I think it was like probably Hemingway or something just to hear what it sounds like. And that's such just a, a nonsense idea. But I think there's some fun in it, which is the idea that like for a minute, I'm not going to write as myself. I'm going to see what it was like to write as someone completely different. Mm-hmm. Right. And of course, like the hearing the music and the keys is kind of ridiculous. But there is something I think to that of like setting yourself kind of uh, goals, limitations, and exercises in that, right? Like yeah. to f- find who do you like and what they sound like and 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 really interrogate like, well, what have they done to s- – like what does it actually mean to sound like that, right? Like what does it actually mean to embody that voice, mm. right? What sets uh, Judith Butler apart, right? Like why, why when I read something Judith Butler is written, I can say like I, I see – first paragraph, right? This is Judith Butler. So I I do think that there's some value in being more playful with the idea by, of like authorship by trying to be a different author than you are, right? By setting yourself like my, you know, I love that M dash. I'm not using that M dash this whole paper. What do I have to do to my voice to not use an M dash? And what does that make me sound like afterwards? I think there's some fun in that. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, fun being a relative word. <laughs> I mean, it's not fun. fun. Fun for writing. Yeah, as fun as that gets. <laughs> um, so trying on different hats, more or yeah. less, yeah, as a way to disrupt or yeah, to disrupt mm-hmm. a comfort zone. Um, it could function the same, or it could function in the same sort of way that these questions I'm considering, right? Mm-hmm. Where I mean, these more or less are, are disruptive, right? I mean, they're yeah. designed to interject into an area where you might be taking certain things for granted or mm-hmm. might be 
working in a, um, you know, just not, not very considered way, mm-hmm. right? You're just going through yeah. emotions. And it's like, no, it's kind of like, no, reconsider mm-hmm. exactly what this dynamic is and how, you know, things could be shifted and mm-hmm. benefited. And I, and I like that idea. And it kind of plays on authorship too, where it's, um, what does it mean to just, I mean, it, it makes me think of Foucault, as you might not be I'm surprised. Sure. I'm, where, I, I always think you're thinking of Foucault. Always. Um, yeah. You know, I've just purchased some tur- turtlenecks recently, so. <laughs> might wear that on the outside too a little more (laughs) but um, yeah so this this was his idea right his idea was all right at the end Mm -hmm. towards the end of his life um it was all right so i think we can develop like these toolboxes right we can we can create our own unique ways Mm -hmm. of life in the same sort of way that we might create a piece of writing or we Mm -hmm. might create and it's quite romantic but Mm -hmm. for foucault it's romantic for foucault which means that it's always bound um, but so his idea was more or less like we play different roles anyhow. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. We are multiple people at once all the time. Right. We're going to interact with certain people in certain ways, mm-hmm. depending on what the dynamic is. If yeah. it's at work, if it's, you know, at school, if it's family, mm-hmm. if it's based on our, pre- whatever we yeah. we wear these different hats. Anyhow, we hide ourselves a chunk of the time. Anyhow, mm-hmm. um, what's the, what's the problem in trying on, different mm-hmm. practices or ways of life mm-hmm. as he would talk about them um, that have, you know, that other people do in different circumstances for mm-hmm. different ends and just to see kind of where it goes. So yeah. all the way down to the, to the level of uh, self-identity, self-conception right. um, and also um, the way others perceive mm-hmm. us get, gets tied up into that. So it becomes personal identity mm-hmm. in many respects um, and that dynamic as it changes over time mm-hmm. um, to just very actively take uh, an approach of the same play that you're talking about. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like, let's try yeah. different things mm-hmm. and see, um, see what happens more or less. Yeah. And I think like, you know, obviously there's kind of, you know, pragmatic concerns of like, okay, well that's all well and good, but I need to get a job as a psychologist, right? Like, or like that's well and good, but I don't know that, my committee members are really going to like me exploring what it sounds to type like Hemingway as I write this, you know, technical paper, right? And I think there's something like, uh, yeah, that's there's something to that, right? We can't all just go well. Hemingway technical it. paper sounds amazing. It doesn't sound good, <laughs> right? But there is that that element of like, yeah, we can't all just go out into the wilderness and no. and, and do that. Um, no. And that and that probably wouldn't be fruitful. But I do think it's a useful exercise of at least like interrogating where does the like writing advice I'm getting come from, right? Um, I think nine times out of 10, what I'm hearing from instructors I'm working with is like what has worked for them. I think we've both heard plenty of writing instructors saying like, wow, I or not writing instructors, but um, instructors in other fields talking about like, you know, well, I know how to write and, uh, and I just don't see why my students don't see it, right? Like I need, I need to show them how I write, which of course isn't some sort of general edict about how you write. It's a practice that worked for them. And so I think the more that we can like emphasize and, and, and highlight the fact of like, oh no, like this is just turtles all the way down, right? That, that you can find, um, you know, 10 people who do it 10 different ways. And the value of seeing that isn't necessarily to like set your hair on fire and start screaming that, you know, none of this means anything whether or not it does, but to, uh, to emphasize that like, well, no, you have some freedom there, but 
you also kind of have to see how you can, like, what are the, ex- how can you exercise that freedom without getting pounced on as someone who doesn't get it, right? I mean, I, I think that's one of the tough things about talking about writing in an academic context, as opposed to talking about writing in like, you know, writing your memoirs or, or, or fiction, right? Yeah. Um, or, or just for popular audiences in general, is that there is like this tremendous level of like, you can go just so far, but if you don't actually have the bona fides to justify it, they're just going to tell you that you just don't get it. Yeah. And, um, and that comes with authorship too, right? And, and at the end of the day, if, if you're not getting the right letter of rec or something, functionally not getting it versus just appearing not to get it, there's no difference, <laughs> right? Like either way, yeah. I'm unemployed. No, it's true. And so, so I think that's something those that's- those aren't moving, those institutional- Yeah, right? And I think that's something that's really tough to do. And I do think it takes like a certain amount of, I don't know, bravery, like on the part of, of an author who is- who, you know, of, of like a student author who is someone who is trying to figure out how do they want to sound within a field that demands they sound a certain way. I think it takes a certain amount of bravery to say like, oh, no, I've got a goal in this. And my goal is um, I want to sound less like this guy and more like this person. Mm-hmm. Or I want to do a better job of highlighting community voices in my writing in a field that has traditionally looked at the community as like subject only or something like that. Yeah. And so I, I do think that there's a certain amount of like, you know, straighten up and try and, you know, like close your eyes and jump. Right? Yeah. I, I completely agree. I don't think these sorts of changes should, especially for people making their way in certain fields. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's a different issue if you've already established yourself and you want to yeah. <laughs> do this more mm-hmm. overtly, but you do have to, given these institutional forces you've talked about, yeah. you do have to, to show mm-hmm. that you are, you have mastered something, right? that you're an authority on something. Right. And as you're saying as well, I mean, the changes find their way in different, mm-hmm. are going to find their way in different forms. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, when I, and I think when you talk about that mastery, a big part of it is all like the mastery of just knowing why are you doing what you're doing? Like, I, I, I can probably safely say before I was working at the writing center and forced to think about writing, I probably didn't think all that much about how I wrote. Mm-hmm. You know, you didn't hire me. So you don't have, you don't have to deal with the no, fact that. But <laughs> I, did, I didn't either. Yeah, before. right. And I think that's a pretty common thing for a lot yeah. of folks who, who teach writing is that um, we were, quote unquote, good writers and a job opened up, right? Mm-hmm. And so I, I do think the, the value that I've seen in working with a lot of the other students on um deciding what kind of author they want to be comes like most of it comes in the first moments where it's like, oh, wait a minute. I've never thought about why I do it this way. And either I do have a really good reason like, oh, it turns out I do it this way because I want X, Y, or Z. Or, oh, it turns out I do it this way because I've never thought of another way to do it. And I think one way to overcome that kind of problem of power imbalance, let's say, is as much as you can have justifications for why you're doing what you're writing, you know, mm-hmm. whether or not they're, you know, uh, you know, ironclad justifications for it. The fact that you've thought about why you've written something the way you have, as opposed to 10 other ways you could have written it. Mm-hmm. I've noticed in, in working with students and, and working with students who are talking to their faculty members, their advisors, that goes like a tremendously long way. It, yeah. It's kind of like the, the hidden curriculum, right? Like, you know, oh, like you've passed the first test, which is to show me that you thought about what you do, you're doing, right? We yeah. can talk about whether that's valid or not, but I think there's something to it. Yeah, I agree. And and in my hope too, to think about it as 
as broadly as you can, right? Mm-hmm. So it's um, it's it's your own yeah, it's your own personal reasons. You're mm-hmm. va- you're validating why you're doing it, yeah. Um, for yourself and you're understanding that, but then also understanding why maybe that validation is yours personally, if yeah. that makes sense. Why mm-hmm. it's that and not something else. Why you write something yeah. and not something else. It, it might not change what you end up writing and mm-hmm. within genre writing and in, in academia, it, it probably shouldn't in many mm-hmm. respects. Um, certain situations will give you mm-hmm. the ability to play with it a bit more than others. Yeah. But I, I, my hope is that just that greater awareness or that shift yeah. away from authorship is this assumed thing, mm-hmm. um, mainly singular and blah, 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 right. blah, everything that I've been talking about with the, or everything that I put into the question, mm-hmm. um, that might change elements yeah. in, in unforeseen ways. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's more res- going to be more restricted, as you're saying, yeah. in academic writing than others. Yeah. And but, well, and there's still the opportunity for that to, to broaden and change, right? I mean, just this morning before we came in, um, um, so I'm in religious studies and the American Academy of Religion announced a, a $1 million grant they got for like religion and uh, like public writing on religion, right? Mm-hmm. And I know this is a concern for a lot of the humanities, especially, especially as like Silicon Valley tries to invent the humanities and like pretend it's new, right? But the idea of like, what does a humanities education net you and how can you engage with the public with it? Mm-hmm. And and so it's kind of weird, you know, in, in 30 minutes of talking about authorship, we haven't talked about audience. Right. Because I think that's a huge determining factor in terms of what does authorship look like or what ought it look like? What are the responsibilities of an author? Presumably, there's some aspect of like the audience that factors in an audience expectation or what the audience needs to know, whether or not they want to know it or how they want to know it, that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so what do you think about audience in this situation? How do you think um, I'm <laughs> doing this sort of turn, right? Uh-huh. This sort of turn away from authorship. I mean, even the the author that is the singular creator should be considering their audience for um, just the quality of their work. Mm-hmm. Um, the better you can engage with your audience, obviously, yeah. even in your creation, the, mm-hmm. the, the better the communication's gonna yeah. be, right? Um, how, is there a shift here for that as well? I mean, to me, asking the sort of social questions of mm-hmm. your place in the bigger picture yeah. um, engages with audience in one respect. Right. Um, but there are many facets to this. Yeah. I mean, I like, I think I, I hear a lot of folks talking about like a responsibility to their audience. Mm-hmm. And, you know, unless you have a captive audience, I, I I tend not to think that you have as much responsibility to that audience. I think you construct a responsibility, right? Like I'm responsible to um, uh, uh, my field in a certain way, right? Or I'm responsible to my audience not to lie to them maybe. But I, you know, in terms of like the responsibility, I think, or just like how you engage with your audience, I do think um, there is no such thing as an audience. There's just imagined audiences, potential readers. Should one imagine the audience? Yeah. Oh, yeah. But I think only for rhetorical, like for persuasive rhetorical purposes, mm-hmm. right? I mean, I, I do think, it, you know, maybe this is studying too much on parties and elections, right? But I think your responsibility is to to do what you want to do as well as you want to do it. Um, 
and and even then it's kind of up for debate whether or not there's some sort of good behind that i don't think there is but if you if you're going to write it you might as well write what you want to write and, and try and do what you want as well as you can um but yeah no i think on on the front of like what how do you imagine an audience as an author i think that's more a function of like what do you imagine your project to be right i mean this is the old conversation about are you uh, a specialist in your field writing for 15 other specialists or are you trying to write for a broader audience? Both of those audiences, well, one's more imagined than the other for sure, but neither one of them is concrete, mm -hmm. right? Like, you know, if, if no one reads what you write, you still have an audience. Definitely. Um, should you imagine a different audience than the one you're used to imagine, imagining? I think so. Do you? I, I like agree. when you write, do you? Um, who do you imagine writing for when you write? Uh, I mean, that's a, that's kind of, you know, I <laughs> is don't, that too personal? Did I, no, did I, I, <laughs> I'm just constantly writing under pressure and I uh -huh. typically have a deadline that's, that's <laughs> quite immediate. So my like, and, uh, you know, um, a playhouse that's on the, on fire. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I just haven't had much opportunity in my recent life to write <laughs> in the sort of way where I have a lot of these allowances. Yeah. But what I'm, what I'm thinking of is that. Mm -hmm. Um, and hopefully in the near future that mm -hmm. I'm going to do. I mean, I I think these disruptive elements are important in, in this respect as mm -hmm. well. I mean, I have taken assumptions. I've taken things for granted. I The way that I've constructed my imagined audience, mm -hmm. when I sit down to consider it as I'm writing, yeah. um, it's a form. It's mm -hmm. I haven't given it much thought. Mm -hmm. That's something that, I want to disrupt as well. I mean, that's something that I want to consider. How would this, how would the writing change if mm -hmm. my audience was a little different yeah. in this sort of way or that sort of way, the same sort of. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think that's like, I think whenever we talk about audience in, in an academic context, there's usually like the, there's almost this kind of like condescending, like, well, are you going to use big words or are you going to speak formality. down? Right. Yeah. And I, and I think that's the wrong way of thinking about what changes with an audience. Right. I do think when you're writing for different audiences, argument changes, mm -hmm. right. Um, evidence changes, purpose changes. Right. And that has nothing to do with the presentation of jargon or like sentence length or punctuation or anything. And so I do think there's um, kind of this element of like in changing your audience, it's not it's not like putting a different lens on, like you're changing what you're doing, mm -hmm. right? It changes and the author. It changes the author, right? Yeah. Like um, all of a sudden you become a different person, which is why, you know, I, I don't, I can't co-sign any notion of like authorship where there's an authentic author, mm -hmm. right? Like what we're doing. Forcing is, themselves under their audience. Right. Like everything you're doing is contingent. Yeah. Every aspect of what you're doing is contingent. Mm -hmm. Um and sometimes, and I do this myself, it's helpful to imagine it's not contingent, that I'm tapping into something uniquely me that I have to get out there. But I think- It helps get the flow going. Right. Yeah. <laughs> like it helps you get you started. But like, yeah. but you, you can't, I don't know if you can buy what you're selling, right? Like at every point, I think you have to be willing to look at it and say, like, oh no, I did that for a reason. Thank you for joining me, Troy. <laughs> Thanks for Appreciate having me, Marcus. This has been fun. Yeah. Um, we're going to do it again. Yeah, if you'd have me. All right, let's talk about knowledge making and epistemology. I'll have to look what that means <laughs> up on the internet. <laughs> That's perfect. Um, <laughs> from Studio B3 at Claremont Graduate University, you've been listening to Breaking the Shackles of Time. I'm Marcus Weekly. Thanks for listening.